Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome once again to the Dabblers Book Club. I am Hadja. I am Curtis. And uh, we're sorry, we're a bit delayed really. I think we've had a couple of weeks off. It's been busy, busy, busy. Life is busy and the world is unlocking down. Yes, but we are back and hopefully we'll be able to stick to (laughs) every two weeks again as we had done previously. Curtis, you suggested this book. Are we going to go straight into the book? As it's, as you know. Yeah, I mean, uh, what have you been up to? Went to Oxford, <laughs> done. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Went to Oxford, got wet, came we did, back we got, home. Oh, no, actually, no, let's do that, yeah. <laughs> so my idiot cousin, who shouldn't be an idiot because he went to Oxford University, um, I text him saying, oh, I'm going to be in your old university town next week. Me and Hadji are going for the day. What do you recommend we do for a day trip? So um, he gave a few suggestions of places for lunch and things to look around. But he said, but you've got to go to this meadow. I can't remember what the meadow is. Port Meadow or something. Port Meadow, yeah. Uh, right at the top of the city. He said it's got amazing views over the Thames. It looks, you know, into the distance. And uh, fantastic. You have to go to Port Meadow. So we went to Port Meadow, got about in the middle of it. Mm. And it's all his fault that what happened happened. And, and, and it, then there was a monsoon. Monsoon, basically. <laughs> about two hours um, but we dried off in a pub and I went to the charity shop and bought Curtis a Frankie Says Relax t-shirt, which he had to wear for the rest of the day. Yeah, um, so, yeah, and nod to friends. Other than that, been recording other podcasts for my sister podcast, which is also about my sister. So that's, uh, <laughs> Pl- plug it, what's the name? <laughs> it's Conversations with My Sister. Um, there are two main ones on your podding platforms. Uh, this is the one with the two young girls on the um icon rather than two women who look really cool and crazy with like colorful hair and tattoos we're we're not that fun maybe we should talk about a book okay so um (laughs) obviously we've done a lot of something new on this podcast and occasionally we do like to shake it up with something old so i went for a george orwell book now george orwell i think i could say is my favorite author Mm -hmm. There's, there's a few i could name but i really do think he would come out as my absolute favorite if i had to um, 1984 is well spoken about as his animal farm, as is um, down and out in Paris and London. So, and one thing I really like about uh, George Orwell uh, is 
some of the other books, the, the not so well known ones, um, just how with your favourite band, you know, there might be the hit that everybody knows, but you probably like that album track. Mm, yeah. So um, this is an album track of George Orwell's that <laughs> I, th- I just thought would be really good to read. And really strangely, I think as we both read it, I don't know, it, it just seemed to, for me, it was lovely to reread for mm-hmm. the purposes of the podcast. And you seem to really enjoy it as well. I just got vibes that you were quite... Yeah, it ignited a lot of stuff within me, very kind of pertinent to the time we're in at the moment could really relate to a lot of stuff based on my upbringing all these things yeah I really connected with it in a way I haven't done with a a book in in a little while so the latest book for the Dabblers podcast is Keep the Aspidistra Flying by George Orwell this was a recommendation from Curtis he wanted me to read it so Curtis tell us what's it about Um, so it is a fiction set in the 30s in London Uh, the protagonist is Gordon Comstock who is pushing 30 and he's a frustrated poet. When you first meet him, he's working in a bookshop making very poor money and he's got holes in his clothes and shabby hair. And he's obviously a very passionate poet, but what he's done is given up a a really good job Mm. to uh, just work a rubbish job that doesn't sap his energy so he can get home in the evenings and do his poetry. So as a result, he's in this bookshop. Um, Very frustrated with the world because things haven't gone his way. His poems haven't made him a a superstar or any significant money. Um, He's living on the breadline and um, quite frustrated. And you just follow him through this frustration. You learn about his relationship with his girlfriend, Rosemary, which we'll talk about. You learn about his friendship with a friend called Revelston, who has is doing a bit better in life than him. We'll get to that. Um, and you just see what happens as he comes into small bits of luck, as he runs into more and more bad luck. And, and all of this is fueled by the fact that he is angry at money. He becomes angry at the money god, angry at capitalism. There's a lot of capitalist versus socialist themes in it. Um, and he's very determined to, pl- to not play the money game and to live as outside the system as he can and just write his poetry. Uh, fast forward to the end. And uh, his girlfriend, Rosemary, falls pregnant. And actually, this is the thing that breaks him at the very end. He goes, do you know what? I would rather play the money game. I think this is, mm-hmm. this is. I've, I realise my position now. Um, he goes for um, a job with his old company that they always said he could come back if he wanted. Sort of goes against all his principles. Becomes part of capitalism, part of the money yeah. game, doesn't he? Yeah. And, um, and, and that's where it ends. Yeah. So there's, there's a summary. Um, obviously, we'll, we'll get into the nitty gritty <laughs> of it. So... I loved it. It was always one of my favourite books. I read it while I was at university. Uh, what did you think? I really, really loved it. It really spoke to me in a lot of ways. Um, just the... Because I've had various stages in my life where I have been without money. And he... And that, and literally, like, sort of living with the same, with similar frustrations, not wanting to be in that sort of money world, the capitalist thing, mm-hmm. wanting to be creative. And then, you know, realising only rich people have that freedom to be able to do that and mm-hmm. not worry about money. You can't be a poor person. Or in his case, as he's... He's sort of lower middle class, but that's because of his education. There's actually no money in the family, is yeah, there? Yeah. Um, he's on two pounds a week or something like that, which just about covers his rent at um, a boarding house, is, I suppose you'd call it. It sounds like he has what we now think of as like a studio flat when you go yeah, to those, I flats guess so, yeah. those houses in London that are all divided up into flats. Bedsits. Bedsits. Yeah, yeah, yeah bedsit, yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I loved the way, it's been a little while since I read it, actually. It's been a couple of weeks now. I loved the way he talks about money. I loved mm. how he talked about poverty and just wanting it to end and, and how unforgiving it is. And I'm talking from a place of, you know, never, not sort of 
penury or or even needing to be on benefits for a long amount of time but just that struggle of I need to live within my means and I need to be able to create while I do that and it's so hard Mm. it is so it is so hard and it was almost lovely to read that this is not just me it's not just the modern day it's the state of not having money and not coming from money and Mm. to want to be an independent soul and a creative anti not anti-capitalist but outside of capitalist sort of person uh it's so so difficult and ultimately it's impossible is what you're saying you can't be part of society you can't even raise a child and want to do what's best for your child um if you're not part of the capitalist system if you're not um yeah putting putting money first Mm. um Mm. Because that's what you have to do. Um, yeah, what about you from that sort of side of things? Yeah, um, so, yeah, really interesting because I was interested actually to, to to notice how much less empathy I felt for him as a protagonist mm. this time around reading it now. Oh, interesting. Maybe it's because I've you know got a reasonably comfortable job and I don't worry of not saying like loaded but you know just average comfortable with money whereas when I read this I was a student and similar to I think what you were saying like I was never like poverty line when I was a student but I certainly lived frugally as students tend Mm. to do and you have certain frustrations don't you like I I, um and you worked while being a student it wasn't oh yeah no yeah and um and actually, one thing that re- that I re- that really attracted to me uh, was the coping mechanisms that he has. Mm-hmm. And if anything, I almost envied it, which I know is well, like his ridiculous tea. thing to say. Exactly like his tea. So when he um, he gets home to the boarding house and he lives in these crappy conditions, and the woman that runs the boarding house got this strict rule, so he has to go up to his room and he's got a secret little kettle which he boils mm. and tries to keep it quiet and makes himself a cup of tea and he has to dash downstairs to get rid of the tea leaves. Um, then he writes at his desk. Then he climbs into bed mm. and kind of, and he's, and he's like well, hiding yeah. from the world in that yeah. um, thing. And and weirdly, oh, sorry, I'm sort of veering away from the money thing here, but I I just I enjoyed and almost envied his little like <laughs> hide away from like him against the world little yeah. hideaway thing. And even things like um, you you know. In fact, when he gets into bed and all his clothes because he's so cold, mm. it reminds me of like once or twice I've done that where I've stayed at like a friend's house or someone's house and it's so oh, cold yeah. in their spare bedroom. Yeah. And I've gone to sleep in all my clothes and like wrapped all the clothes around, <laughs> all the bed clothes around me so tightly and just laid still and gone, this is me. And then just yeah. fell asleep. This, while it's not a great night's sleep, there's something weirdly, you know, like survival about, about it, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. ridiculous because it's no, not like I know, out in but the forest. I guess I've just got to sleep in the cold now. Uh, yeah, it, well, it does strip you back because when you're reminded of the, your basic needs and warmth is, is one of them, mm. um, that's when you feel sort of alive and you realise how how close you, everyone is, mm. um, you know, to not to death, I suppose, but like you need these basic things and without mm. these basic things you die and mm. when you are cold in a in a cold room you are just reminded of that it yeah. doesn't matter if yeah. the rest of the house is warm or if you've got lots of money or whatever like that it's like i'm cold and i could die um but but interesting what you said as well about um because he's so skint like mm. he can barely afford his next pack of tobacco he's counting the pennies till next payday yeah he it, it saps all of his creative energy mm. and he gets home in the evening after working in the shop earning shit money and he's got no motivation to yeah. do his poetry um and what do you say you related to that yeah or? i do relate to that um i just want to take it back to the tea making thing again because i love 
the idea of ritual and how important ritual is in survival mm-hmm. on a shoestring that if you value a cup of tea that's what you have to make to enjoy that corner of your evening almost it's mm. um yeah there's so much comfort in something like something as simple as a cup of tea and when you have less you do have to look to those small rituals and, and I wonder as well with him as part of it is the rebellion there's almost a control thing there because he's doing it without his landlady mm. knowing and she would disapprove of that and that's that there's an element a tiny bit of, sort of taking back control um but with the money thing um the creativity yeah no it can be and I think you see this with me just the energy around worrying about money and I know that if I had to hit the job market properly, I I would end up with a job. Mm-hmm. It might not be, especially right now, it might not be the one I'm after or the salary I'm used to when I was working sort of for bigger companies. Um, but, you know, I, I could do that. But it's like, but I don't want to. I've been around this circle over and mm-hmm. over and over again. I need to try and, and find this balance of, of creativity but money and and as it turns out, so for me, it's like part-time work and mm. part-time creativity. And it does mean that, and with podcasts, I do end up having, I mean, I can have 12-hour days, like five days a week, mm. um, usually over into the weekend as well. I'm not saying I don't waste my time, but it, yeah, it is exhausting. I mean, even, you know, I've done a, I haven't even done much today, but it's still been a full day and we've still like to get the energy to do a podcast in the evening yeah. for all you lucky, lucky listeners. Um, both of you. Yeah, both of you. <laughs> but that uh, that commitment to creativity when you are worrying about money is very, very difficult. And you can just go around in, around in cycles. And also the you have to have a realisation that there is no end point. Mm. You're not going to get something published and that will be it. Especially if you're from... Um, interestingly, the money podcast is what me and my sister are talking about on our other podcast next, which oh, is quite really? apt. Yeah. I've spoken about money a lot in the last couple of weeks. I think it's interesting. Sorry, with no, no, go ahead, Karen, it's fine. It's interesting what a um, just how much it, how it makes you feel as a human. Because, like I say, I feel like I've been comfortable enough now for quite a long time, so, so it's okay. And there's not been many times in life where I've really felt sick about money, mm-hmm. but you know, a few times. And I mean, and also, like, actually, whenever I've been in a bad money situation it's been because i've been bailing out you know someone who 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 was it always drove it home to me when i was living in stockholm and i had a gig in monaco and the money had all but run out i think yeah. i had like enough money to make it i calculated i got right i got enough money to make it to the airport because i had a gig in monaco that's mm-hmm. the thing i got i'm gigging in the most glamorous location in the world and i'm living in one of the most expensive cities in europe and i thought right i've got enough money to get to the airport that's how much that costs i think i can afford a cup of tea on the plane and then there's someone picking me up the other side so yeah. i'm not got to worry about money and then in three days time the money from that goes in and, and you're I'm a okay. non-credit card person that was the yeah. thing as well it's like it's all debit it's so not... i so i yeah so i literally knew how much money i had to do with and this is just like gordon in the book you know when he he knows how much money he has when like they go on their day trip to burn and beaches yeah but then then Something, it costs a bit more yeah, than for scene yeah. and then he feels sick and i remember then playing in a five-star hotel yeah. to these oh, rich God, fat yeah. cats and i'm going Wow, they wouldn't, you know, and I'm here in my suit and I had just enough money to get It's like here. one of their shoes would like yeah, pay like, for your rent. Yeah, just it's funny how it makes you feel less of a human. That I contrast yeah. there as well. Yeah, and it is, it is the less of a human. It's the I'm not relevant here, I'm not important in any way. Mm. And it's obviously ridiculous, but it's the world we're in and we have chosen to 
measure success by money in the most part, I would say. We don't ask poor people for success tips on how mm. they became successful. We ask rich people. It's mm. like it's it's an easy thing to aspire to have, um, an easy lifestyle to want. And it just, yeah, I was thinking like the idea, the, the relentlessness of it when you, so I have this, fine balance at the moment I would say between money and creativity and mm -hmm. um, I mean you see it it's if I do a bit more like creative work I won't have enough money because I'll you know mm. the, the the brain space it takes like you're switching gears as well back and forth from one to the other yeah and it all sounds very uh, it is very first world it still is very first world because obviously some people just want to survive mm -hmm. um but the whole thing of this book is it's it's about creativity and not being of the world in the way that everyone else is. And then also you think, is that just a really arrogant pursuit? There's so two ways of looking at it. I think I used to be so... The first time I read this book, I was so much more sympathetic mm -hmm. with him or em empathetic, one of the pathetics. Um, <laughs> but he... Um, he um, you were distracted because <laughs> I laughed at your joke. Yeah, I was oh. like, oh, I got one away there. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it's that he... Um, yeah, he's chosen his poverty yes ultimately. it almost seems slightly petulant at times yeah and I do, but this is something that's quite all well anyway right from down and out in uh, paris and london london paris always get mixed up um but as in it, it was his choice to live in poverty right in yeah. paris well this is one thing we should address is um so gordon in this book is a exaggeration but is not a million miles away from orwell yeah I was he getting the sense you know, he had fame in his time to an extent, but not really. Like between novels, he worked in bookshops, worked for the BBC. He was jobbing, you know, and yeah. also bear in mind he lived through the war. So, you yeah. know, it was a time, just a different time. I think this is probably based in uh, in on his time working in a bookshop in Hampstead. Mm -hmm. This book itself did not sell very well. Right. Uh, neither did a few of his lesser known titles until later on after his death. Um, in fact, later in his career, he basically wrote this book off saying, oh, I just churned out for a bit of money. Oh, wow. And would you believe that? You know, you think it's, yeah. it's, it feels like he's put his heart into it, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I thought there were so many powerful truths in there about mm. money and how you feel. And just that, that level of empathy and understanding is so, so mm. strong. Um, well, well, this almost leads me as to, and I'm sure we'll get back to the money narrative, but... Um, so we were you were reading it in the park one day. Uh, what you and me went to Highbury Fields, mm. and um, I think you read a line to me that was really oh, nice. Yeah. And I said to you, "Isn't he just a great yeah. writer?" And there's this weird thing with Orwell where everyone goes, "You know, oh, you know, amazing because of the, you know, the, the such a received and, opinion, isn't it?" Yeah, but... everyone talks about how yes, he's very powerful because of the points he makes with 1984 and uh, an Animal Farm. But and, the, and there's this stock line. Everyone goes, "Obviously, Orwell wasn't the greatest writer ever." But <laughs> I'm like, "Have you actually fucking? Shit. Have you fucking?" <laughs> Orwell. I, he, I think he's a wordsmith, yeah. like absolutely brilliant. I would like, I would die on that hill. There are some points where it can be a tiny bit sloppy, like literally tiny, tiny bits. Mm. But no, I think there are just so many gems of lines throughout it, and it's mm -hmm. you know his writing isn't like poetic. Um, it's it, I just think it's well written. It's not. Yes. It's, to say he's not one of the best writers, like no, he's not up there with the greats but that gets you into the whole discussion of what you want from a writer mm. and the messages he has within his writing are so so powerful like i think it's very readable yeah like it's quite um it's quite sophisticated in its language it's probably of its time actually in the mm. 30s where it's not victorian and it's not all ornate but um at the same time 
the words are interesting. There's there's an interesting choice and 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 bank of. Well, I mean, I was if I'd read this when I was younger, because I was brought up to think that anything pre nineteen ninety was very Victorian, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then to see sort of words like sexual written in uh, written in a book in the nineteen thirties mm. would have shocked me, um, even though apparently normal people did write normal things. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's funny because I, you know, I read that Stefan Zweig memoir earlier, and he was talking about literature through his life. So he lived at the tail end of the 1800s through into uh, through both the wars Mm. and died, I think, during the Second World War. Um, And he was saying about how all the like like Charles Dickens and writers of of, of the late Victorian era or the mid to late Victorian Mm. era never mentioned sex. Yeah, he no, said, he said yeah, society yeah. went through a thing that apparently wasn't like before. Apparently Victorian um, England and, and Western civilization totally just decided that sex was this. Yeah, no, it and, was a very um, anti-sex um, Yeah, world, and they just yeah. did, don't even mention it or allude to it. And, it. and it's weird because obviously I think we generally think of the past and we think, oh, sex, until now, we've, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. society no hasn't been sexual. So everyone's married yeah. before they had sex. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. for example, right now, sex is... It, we're so liberated. It's all over advertising. It's yeah. how people dress. It's how we talk. It's everywhere. Sex, for better or for worse. Yeah. And we think of the past as having always been really restrained now. Buttoned that's up, not the yeah. case. Just no, the Victorian sure. era was a big was but just, prominent yeah, era, era where um, yeah, um, it was taboo. But Yeah, and it's really sort of coloured the way we... Well, I yeah view um, older novels and stuff. Mm. Um, what was I going to talk about? I love how you get a sense of the negativity just weighing him down, mm. and how so he turns up at a party and it's on the wrong day, and no one yes. thought to tell him. And it's one of those parties where. It's a networking party ultimately for you. If you're in the sort of the lower echelons or if you're the poor person, you kind of try your luck at these places. You make mm. you make the best of yourself um, and try and impress people and sort of make friends. And, and I think this is basically an opportunity for him to see a friend of sorts or close acquaintance, I'm not sure. Um, and he's basically stood up and they haven't told him. And yep. um, he feels this shame and this anger. And even when he gets a letter sort of apologising for it, he basically tells them to go fuck themselves, uh, essentially. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, what did you, yeah, what did you make of that? It's interesting, isn't it? Because we've all been to those parties, like, again, before you're in a certain scene or before you're properly established in a certain scene. And... Like I say, I can't be as specific as the party's been cancelled on the wrong day. If someone's a bit rude to you or someone says the wrong thing, you instantly go, well, it's just because I'm not, I don't you know. Belong here. Yeah, you think I'm the lower person. Um, yeah. And, yeah, I think a lot of people can relate to that. Because mm-hmm. it's interesting, isn't it? Because, yeah, they, they did just move the party to another day and forget to tell him. Mm-hmm. And it's up to you whether, actually, yeah, they didn't, they just don't think well enough of him to bother to tell mm-hmm. him. Or whether they genuinely just, a just genuine forgot. Mistake, yeah, yeah. Um, but so. yeah, his response to that and how unforgiving he is about that. Mm. Um, and obviously, we think about you know, no one, no one really wants to hang around the negative person if you're going to be sort of no. pissy about everything and think the worst of everyone. Mm. Um, but that is a symptom of his poverty, I suppose, yeah. um, or the state he has placed himself in because he has he has used up his sister's resources. Mm. Um, he didn't stick at the job he, that would have helped his sister as mm. well. So he's extremely selfish in his pursuits. Mm. But what he does when he's worried about money is... 
And it, this is the weird thing when people are worried about money, and I guess this is a situation I'm in, worried about money, but there is a get out. You just don't want to take it. Mm-hmm. You just don't want to do the big job that pays the money or yeah. anything else. So th- th- there's that weird sense of inauthenticity to his experience. And it's ultimately, it's a frustration with himself that he can't be authentic um, as a creative mm. and have enough money to survive. And it's like, you kind of can't have it both ways. Like no, when you're yeah. getting paid for stuff, that is ultimately a survival thing. You can't yeah. have this pure experience in every aspect of your life sometimes it is just yeah you do some hours and you get some money and that's that is how you're valued in a small part of your Mm. life or a big part of your life but yeah i just got the sense of how negative he was and just that seeping through everything every aspect of his life he actually annoyed me yeah really and again didn't get this first time around reading it a few years ago but reading this like I say, enjoyed it, but I was going, my God, man. I was just like... Pull yourself together. It, like, every conversation he had with his girlfriend... Oh, he was a dick to her, obviously. Yeah, when, <laughs> and she's actually this really sweet girl that loves him. And she knows he's poor, but she sees past that. It's mm. not important to her particularly. She'd obviously like him to have a few more Bob, but actually she likes him for who he is and just accepts this is where they're at right now. And she's trying to just walk, and I think I think the first scene when they're together, they're walking through London arm in arm in the cold and... and um, and she's trying to talk about anything. Mm. And he's just like, oh, rats, rosemary. And he just steers that conversation back to money. Always it's all money, money yeah. drafted. And he's just like this moany, I've got no money, therefore I'm not in a person. Yeah. And then it happens time and again throughout the book. Yeah. So he... He, um, he won't and, let her pay for exactly, stuff. And then yeah. he's but he still worried about it, yeah. yeah. And then there's Ravelston, or Ravelston, mm. his, his friend. Um, who has money. Who has money, yeah, works for a publisher. Um, so they're at slightly different positions in life, but they become friends because they have this mutual appreciation for uh, literary society and sort socialism. Of, and so to, yeah, yeah, they sort of seem to not see eye to eye on socialism. But they certainly like talking about it and debating. Mm. Um, and again, you you sort of cringe for Rav, for Ravelston, mm. who's there in the pub with him, just wanting to have a chat about anything else. Yeah, and his mate Gordon is just going, "Oh, rats! Well, it's all just money." Just moans and moans yeah, and yeah. moans. And I've definitely known people like this, and maybe I've been this I person. Think it's me. <laughs> no, 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 no. But I've I've known people like this, and I I think I might have been this person to other people, where you're just a negative. Well, if you can't see past your current problem, yeah, then you're you're grappling with how to fix it. Like you haven't come up with a solution yet that is that you want to you know follow through with. It will just. Yeah, it's all you can see. And money is something. I mean, to to be fair to him, money is something you see everywhere. There's Mm. nothing you can't really look at in the world that's not nature that you, well, even nature, to be honest, Mm. that isn't tainted by money in some way. Um, And you can, yeah, walking down the street, you can see the, I mean, he has this level of granularity for the sake Mm -hmm. of using an awful word um to let's hit, get granular let's in this get granular um, to his observations about money as well like he knows every little detail is is pointed out that makes someone poor or rich and um another interesting point which is where i did feel for him again is the drinking and having a drink mm. and smoking and that socializing element where you feel stuck indoors and you feel isolated because you just can't bear to move and either highlight how poor you are and you know have drinks bought for you which you would obviously Mm. hate um but also that feeling of being part of society which is you know whether it's drinking or not it's being it's being social and meeting people and how that idea of poverty just stops you from 
partaking in in the social life, um, even when he's being invited to the pub mm-hmm. by one of the guy, one of the other men in the boarding house. Just the isolation and and how he then perpetuates that sense of isolation because he is so scared. Yeah. It's- Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. It's like a catch-22. He knows that he will only talk about money. Maybe he'll know that he'll only see money if he's out. Yes. But... If he stays in, he won't be able to socialize. And yeah, know. he he knows his he knows his, almost his safe place, doesn't he? Yeah, and he hates it, but he's comfortable hating it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's all it's, it's very odd. Um, so, how about their their day trip that I alluded to earlier to Burnham Beaches, where Rosemary twists his arm finally um, and says, "Look, let's get let's get out of London. Let's let's go to Burnham Beaches. I'm not even sure where that is. Is that in Hampshire, Surrey, or yeah, so <laughs> somewhere clearly commutable from London because they get a quick, um, they get a train out of Slough, I think, don't they? Or oh, bus yeah. out. It's, it's somewhere that way anyway. Berkshire maybe. I'll have a look. Quick Google. Um, and they go and they walk in the fields and they have a lovely Saturday, and then and he has borrowed money from his sister in a, in in order to afford this extra expense, and they um, yeah, it's just a. A bit of grass near Slough, <laughs> okay. between Beaconsfield and Slough. Oh, there we go. We, we were near there. We, yeah. we, we went, oh. <laughs> and then, and then it, it's, I think it's a really powerful scene when they stop at the hotel, which is like the only place they can find over oh, somewhere yeah. to eat. And they, he knows it's too expensive for they go in, but they go in anyway. And the waiter just smells the poverty on them yeah, and yeah. just treats them like shit. And then the food's a bit which, crap anyway. Which then makes you want to spend more money to show that you're not. Yeah. I, I've, I've literally been in that yeah. situation. Not where I've been made to feel like, mm, maybe... Do you remember when we were in Monaco and someone like just looked down at my trainers? I could, I just well, oh. no, you don't remember because I, but I remember we were no, I of, do because we didn't go in. No, it we was, didn't go um, in. It was the place opposite where I work, and you had like pink trainers on. Yeah, very bright trainers, but I n- needed them for my ankles. But I mean, loads of people were just wearing whatever. It yeah, wasn't like yeah. a posh place, but it was just the fact that he looked at me. And I knew it was that assessing me yeah. way of are you good enough for this place? And yeah. I was just no. they are so shitty the service staff. And I say horrible. this, but I had some friends that were service at Monaco yeah. who were nice. But yeah, the general, in fact, even the place where we were, you saw the people that come in in the immaculate clothes, and they were just tri- tri- um, 
they were treated. Is that treated? <laughs> they were treated. <laughs> they, they, they were treated so so well from the yeah. second they walked in, and then you'd see like the the couple that's on holiday in Monaco and just wants to, ignored, just wants yeah. to go into that bar to have a drink, and you can just see the waiters in this five star hotel just just kind of oh god could yeah. just begrudgingly show them to a table and give them the shittest service and then interestingly as a third point maybe not as relevant but you see the people that are known to be rich to those waiters because they're regulars come in dressed like shit and then but the waiters know they've got money it's an interesting world but, but it um, is horrible being in that situation like just yeah feeling so poor as we sort of said at the mm. beginning like feeling so out of place and so unimportant and in a world that does judge you for your money and does value you based on your money, mm. it's really uncomfortable. It's a really uncomfortable thing when you you question whether someone would literally value your, your humanity yeah. if they had to in a certain situation. Um, before we go on to one-star reviews, uh, what do you already? think... Oh. We are nearly there already. Yeah. What do you think of Rosemary getting pregnant? As in, did she contrive it? Yeah. Again, didn't question it when I first read the book yeah. a few years ago. This time I was like, oh, hang on, what's she, she done knew what there? She was doing, yeah. Now, the reason why I don't think she did mm-hmm. is because um, that scene was so moving. She, oh, God, and it really, actually, I don't know if you noticed, I was all huggy with you the one particular day <laughs> when I just read it. But, um, oh, God, she was just, I think it's when, and this is after the whole thing where he's done a night in the cells, which we haven't even touched oh, on. Oh, God, no, we haven't. Um, but, yeah, so there, there's a, the, the, this comes towards the end of the book when um, Gordon has has been into to prison for the night and, as a result of this, lost his job at the bookshop, um, lives at Ravelston's house while he finds himself uh, another job, which he does begrudgingly. And, actually, what he does is he goes down to, I think it's Lambeth or Vauxhall. Yeah, gets another shitter job at a bookshop a on less money. In a shitter bookshop. Lives in and, a shitter place. Yeah, yeah, and so basically just sinks further into this like petulant stamp in my heels in the ground. No, I'm not playing the money game. I'm doing this so I can yeah. write my poems. And and he, I think he almost cuts things off of Rosemary, yeah, he doesn't he? Yeah, pushes her away, yeah. And actually she comes to his room in almost like, you know, heart heartbroken yeah. and just hugs him and kisses him. And just, Well, they've not had sex ever yeah, either. And and he's, he's always wanted sex. He's quite pressured her, hasn't he? Yeah. Um, and, and actually, she has sex with him. Now, I don't think it was contrived to have a baby. I did wonder it. I just think Rosemary seems such a pure and tender character. I think she's just heartbroken and she just wants to give him what he wants. See, I didn't, yeah, I didn't read into it that. Um, mind you, I do gloss over sex scenes. I'm like, hey, you're having sex. I can't. It mo- no, that scene. <laughs> Someone else is in the room. That scene really um, moved, moved me. Oh. I just felt her despair and wanted to be close to yeah, him. Yeah, see, I thought based on a based on their previous encounter that she was doing this for him that Mm. she knew that he would step up for a baby like I don't think it was like a baby for her Mm -hmm. I thought it was her knowing no this I will get him right okay um and I will help him if he does this and I think it was what she realized was that what he lacked was purpose Mm. and he lacked a sense of purpose and obviously what better way to have purpose in your life than a baby but yeah drive to get himself out of the the hole that he was in yeah okay so i think we disagree mm. on well that. i mean there's no definitive it, it's I don't open to interpretation but yeah in my, my first thought was that she was doing it for him in my mind it's yeah it's open to that but my i just go with the fact that she was just so heartbroken mm. and it was just this lovely honestly i was gonna feel a little Aww. bit like fuzzy talking <laughs> about it it's like yeah it was such a moving scene i just felt her pain mm. really felt her pain just knew that she wanted to be close to him wanted to she could tell she was losing him it was almost like yeah. a last 
not a last ditch thing to make herself pregnant just just to be just wanted mm. to be close to him um Aww. yeah men will believe anything um <laughs> i'm joking uh okay before we go on to one star reviews then the crazy night I was reading this going, no, Gordon, no, stop spending the money. Just stop it now. How well written, by the way. So good. Yeah, really, really builds up the suspense. You get that sense of a drunken swirl of an evening. Yes. And it just keeps on going and keeps on going. Um, there's a, sorry, there's a scene in David Copperfield just like oh, this. Oh, really? You probably uh, remember because you, you, you saw we went to the film adaptation. Oh, yes, I do. In, yeah, I in the book, it's really well written where, and, and, is he, and Dick, Dickens just writes this. And you just you can see him descending into this night and letting it get away with him. You're going no 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 stop, no no, and he just gets smashed. And you're part jealous because you want to go on the smash, <laughs> but but you're also going oh my god you can't afford this. Um, yeah. yeah. So Gordon gets a poem published and they pay him ten pounds. Now that is the equivalent of five weeks' rent. Um, he has already borrowed five pounds off his sister, so he starts the night putting five pounds away. That's for his sister. That's to pay it back. Mm. Or maybe it was seven pound fifty as like a present. I can't remember. I think it started off as a bit more he was going to give her back. Yes. And yeah, he was going to give her some money. And then by the end of the night, there's nothing left for her. Yeah. By the end of the night, we mean the next morning where he ends up in jail. Well, he starts having a couple of gin and tonics with the cabbie before he even goes yeah. out. And then he goes to the expensive restaurant because he wants to show Ravelston and Rosemary. Ah, I, I, I can take it. you out. And oh, have you ever... But at no point does he, does he tell them what why he's got the money, do, do, do they? Like, no, yeah. I was waiting for them to actually just celebrate the fact he'd had a poem published, but actually yeah. that wasn't in there, I don't remember. And I don't know, have you, do you feel like you've ever been that sort of person or have you know, have you seen that this sort of situation in another person where they've come in some money and they're going, no, fuck it. It's on me now. Oh, that's and me whenever I get like... money. <laughs> it's, yeah. um, but no, it is. It is actually me when I get money, and it, there's. It's tied into that sense of not seeing a future anyway. So even yeah. though you get a bit of money, you're like, well, how, how is this really going to yeah. add up to more? Like, I so might I might as well, as well just... enjoy it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and also, yeah, I mean, that's the yeah. that's the main thing. And I think that's for him. He doesn't have that sense of future. Mm-hmm. Doesn't have the sense of I can just put this money to one side. It's when it's so rare in that way of you know the paychecks coming few few and far between yeah it's harder for him to to see how they can all add up yeah so he gets like he sort of overdoes it in the restaurant doesn't he because he orders a bottle of wine no but order champagne it's really amazing how they describe it isn't it it's not champagne it's it's some other it's like spumante or something asti spumante i think and it's on the second bottle and the first bottle's great for them all and the second bottle is like and that's so relatable isn't it you order the second and it just doesn't feel as good as the first yeah yeah um it was so well written that bit i thought so well described and then like yeah go it goes to the they go to the pub uh, I think actually, you know, he pisses off Rosemary because he sort of takes her down an alley oh, well, he tries and grabs to, her a yeah, bit. Yeah, so that's she, nice. She clears off. Um, then he the, goes to prostitutes. Yeah, and Ra- <laughs> Ravelson the whole time is going, come on, no, yeah. we, let's call this now. And it's, you know, it's that he just goes overboard. Um, and yeah, and it's the point in the pub where he pours the beer all over himself. Oh, yeah. Um, and gets kicked out. Uh, yeah, and, and obviously yeah, wakes up in the police cell, finding out he's hit a policeman and... I mean, it's the ultimate just, you know, it's someone who's been starved of any stitch of anything for so long, coming into some money and just going, right, let's go out and celebrate and have a drink and then just getting more and more full of themselves. It's, uh, yeah, so, so powerful, so well written. Um, Right. Let's get on to one star reviews. I am on the Amazon app. I have clicked one star. It says 2% of one star, but it says 
No reviews match your current selections, which oh. is a lie. But we'll go for a two-star review. Okay. Should we just give some context? Um, yeah, sure. I always forget this. Yeah. Um, so for anyone listening for the first time, people that give one-star reviews to books on Amazon uh, tend to be quite funny. Um, so we like to read out some one-star reviews to see what people thought of the book we're reading that week. So you say we haven't got any? We haven't got any one-stars, but I'll, I'll have a look on Goodreads in a second. Okay. Uh, this guy, let's just call him Thomas that is his first name said an unlikely species this is a squalid and grimy little book although the author would have agreed with me wholeheartedly i must admit i find gordon comstock a rather unlikely character to fit into any era either before or after the 1930s a committed ant capitalist i love ant capitalists like ant capitalists yeah ant capitalists yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yet no affiliations to any political party or organization he has contempt for money yet feels guilty when taking it from others he certainly knew how to indulge himself when he came into money his close friends and acquaintances are affluent with no links okay he's just explaining what happened do you know what's the first sentence that he said this is a squalid and grimy little book yes it is that's the whole point. No. The whole thing is covered in grey. You're, you're supposed to yeah. sort of lose yourself in this muggy I puddle of a book. I don't understand this review because he doesn't actually... Since the book is semi-autobiographical, it more, it's more of an indictment of the author since I've always thought that Orwell was depressive. George Orwell can at least be credited by going to Spain to fight for the Republicans in order to... Dude, this is not a review. What are you... I, you're just describing a book. You're not actually saying if you liked it or not. I don't... Never mind. The Comstock personality portrayed seems to be a supercilious, spoiled brat of an individual. He seems to be suffering more from some sort of emotional deficiency if the way he treats his girl... You know when people decide they don't like a character? We've had this time and time mm. and time and time again. I didn't like the book because I didn't like the character. Yeah. I... D- <sighs> Anyway, right, I'm going to find one of Goodreads. You've got a quote there. I was looking for one. No, there's loads. Um, Actually, on a side note, I think I told you this when I was reading it, I was trying to... There's so many locations in this book, particularly London locations. You know, he walked down Tottenham Court Road. He he, went around Charing Cross Road and went into the Leon's Tea Shop. Love all that, because I love London and have lived in London for a long time. Um, However, they're they're really vague on where he actually lives Mm. at the start of the book and where the bookshop is. And I think I said to you, I googled, so it's Willow Bed Road, NW. And that's not a place, is it? Yeah, it's not. Um, But um, I think you can establish from the clues um, that he's somewhere not a bit north of Regent's Park, sort of towards Maida Vale and St. John. Um, And actually the clue as well is um, Ravelston in this book is sort of based on Victor Galanch. If I pronounce that wrong, somebody tweet me, who was um, a big publisher in the 30s, who was Orwell's publisher and friend. And there was he was based on that. And he lived in Maida Vale around the corner from my old house mm. obviously many years before i lived there but, yeah. <laughs> that's cool right uh i found a one-star review on goodreads left 10 months ago by someone called lara aspidistras they seem to be mentioned in all of george orwell's novels as far as i have read them anyway Gordon is a poet, although most of his works have not been published and the ones that have seen the light of day simply fell flat. The book opens with a gloomy atmosphere and a rather unlikable description of our main character. We then follow our unlikable main character through his routine at work and his evening at home where he complains about money, customers, authors, poetry... That, of course, is the reason why Gordon dislikes his family and has turned out to be a rather depressing person himself. Ergo, this is a depressing book. I like George Orwell's writing style. It is clear and delivers vivid images. I'm glad to have read 1984 and Animal Farm. Neither were my usual cup of tea, but they were good books. Blah, 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 blah. 
But as for me with Orwell books, while I do enjoy the writing, there is a complete lack of humour. His works are so bleak through and through that I feel like I can't get through any more of them. I was being stubborn and really wanted to finish the last two. Others around me just questioned why I'm punishing myself with these novels instead of reading something I can enjoy. I've got through quarter of Keep the Aspidistra Flying and have to admit defeat. I have little free time and I have no desire to waste it on a book that does nothing other than make me feel depressed. Perhaps one day I can come back to this, but for now I'm afraid this is where Orwell and I part ways. No free time, but you spent about eight to nine minutes on that review. (laughs) Uh, It's really weird, isn't it? Because fair enough, you don't enjoy it, but it's that weird thing that you don't enjoy it because it's depressing. And it's like, well, do you want to read a book where everything's fine? You know, the sun was in the sky and they were happy. Do you want to read 22 chapters People really judge books on completely different um, bases, don't they? It's... It's so bizarre to me. Like, because if I don't like a book, it's usually because like, I think the writing's bad or I think mm. the characters aren't convincing or the plot doesn't make sense. Like, if I think I'm more of a, like, I have technical issues with a book. Yes, I think I agree. Um, well, when I just think of my bookshelf upstairs, all the fiction that I've read, what I love is the different moods and places it's taken me. You know what I mean? Mm. I love that's what's great about fiction is you go to different countries, sometimes different worlds. Yeah. You meet people of different temperaments and moods. I mean, you might want it's you might not want to read a depressing book, but go, Oh, it's quite a depressing book. Yeah. I might not read it now or I'm probably never gonna read it. I I wouldn't even put it on a scale of one to five or one to ten if I like if I found the book depressing, like because mm. that's just its subject matter. Yes, it's so strange how some people are like I need to have a happy book. Yeah, <laughs> otherwise it's a shit book. And the very notion of a storyline is there's adversity of some description. Yeah. Whether that's someone from poverty, like in this book, like in that Will Smith movie where he's with the kid living in toilets until they <laughs> yeah. get a break. I can't Pursuit of happiness. Yeah, so like you're overcoming, you're coming from nothing to come from something. Yeah. Or there's like you know where you're the wolf of Wall Street and you've got. You have it all and then then it crashes around you. There's adversity there. That's the story. Whereas this is, it's all internal conflict is actually the main thing. The main theme is just someone destroying themselves. Mm. um, But with a sort of existentialist philosophical sort of thread going through of what is the meaning of life and how can we live Mm. in this world and not be of the world. and, um, And also more than anything, I think, what these people in these reviews aren't picking up on is this book is a big statement on socialism mm. and well not really actually no it's, it's a statement on capitalism mm. and, and you know it's not even rejecting capitalism it's just offering you a very cynical view of it for consideration you know and it actually references the ragged childhood yeah it does ragged trousers ph- philanthropist by uh, Robert Tressel, which is, I've said, I think yeah. I might have said on this podcast, well, it's just the manual on socialism. Yeah. Whether you love socialism or hate it, it's just worth a read because mm. it sets it out so well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, sorry, carry on. Um, yeah, no, I'm just thinking, I was going to, I had another one star review. Oh, cool. Okay, uh, this is from Travis. I can see why Orwell was embarrassed by this novel. To call the plot meandering is to imbue it with more dynamics and urgency than it is due. A plotless novel about a witless protagonist who doesn't appear in any way sympathetic. I find myself hungrily awaiting the steel-toed boot of capitalism to come crushing down on self-pitying, self-aggrandized, mostly empty head of Gordon Comstock. And I'm denied even that. Quite possibly one of the worst novels I've ever read. It inspires me to continue writing, seeing that a genius who produced such works of art is capable of producing such garbage. It gives me hope in all the wrong ways. (laughs) Do you know what that guy should read? 
there's an earlier Orwell book, Burmese Days, <laughs> which is, you know, the same, you know, it's a disillusioned protagonist, only this protagonist is disillusioned with British colonialism, of which he is a part. And he's just like really sad in Burma with no real <laughs> plot, plot thing for a whole book until he shoots himself. <laughs> but I think that's the, that's the anticipation, isn't it? And it was almost the same with um, The Collector. It was mm. the, will <sighs> she get discovered? Will someone find out? Like, it's that anticipation. It's like, will he... Because it's two ways it can go. Well, no, yes. three ways it can go. I honestly didn't know if he was just going to die. That was mm-hmm. one of my possibilities. The other was he gets published and is amazing and like gets loads of poems published and just gets loads of money from mm. being, you know, creative, whatever. Um, and then the third was he goes back to his old job. Like, yeah. and it's that anticipation at each stage where something happens. Like, oh, but at the same time, um, exploring how it feels to be sort of poor in mm-hmm. moneyed circles um and then and and he's not even poor in poor circles like the, there's a weird mm. sort of he's too educated for working class circles and yes. and too poor for um middle class circles final one star review kevin said despite the promising first chapter in a bookstore i just could not finish this account of a kvetchi what is that word what vetchi kvetchi no idea k v e t c h y Nope. Empty. <laughs> of a man born into wealth who turns his back on it in fact. No, I need to find this out. He's not born into wealth. Is, is he? Uh, complains a great deal. How do you pronounce it? North American informal. Kvetchy. You're just a kvetchy man. Kvetchy. Is, is that what they say about someone that's a bit moaning? That's... Oh, I can, I can pronounce this. It's like if you're ever complaining, I just call you grumps. You do call me grumps. Kvetch. Kvetch. Why? Why? I, I never mind. Makvetchik. That's too. Makvetch. Kvetch. Uh, man born into wealth who turns his back on it in favour of. He was not born into wealth, firstly. No, we just no. need to stop you right there. He was not born into wealth. That's the whole point. His the parents family... died and left him fuck all. Yeah, that's the... Anyway. Who turns his back on it in favour of a failing writing career, some work at a bookstore and a struggling relationship with a mercurial woman whose interest in him, while faint, is never really explained. This book never seemed to end or pick up and skipping to the end naturally finishes with the character giving in, returning the job at an advertising agency that he had left earlier. I guess he means returning to... And became solid and becoming solidly middle class. The one good thing about this book is that, like Orwell's other books, it says a great deal about Orwell's beliefs, internal struggles, and Weltanschauung at the time. I don't know what Weltanschauung is. Nope. Sounds Deutsch, but um, it is Deutsch. It's beyond my um, what I've got left of a vocabulary. It's too clever. Alf Deutsch. Yeah. Weltanschauung. I mean, I only like learn. A Are couple. we googling that one as well? I am googling. <laughs> Particular philosophy or view of life, the world view of an individual of an individual group. I was going to say. Okay, that's my German pronunciation. Right. Well, uh, Kevin, I don't think you are correct in how you read this book. (laughs) I mean, it's he. He is an unlikable character in many ways. Mm -hmm. However, I think the insights into poverty are still. Very interesting, very valid, and there's a real uh, sense of understanding mm. of the of how easy it is to get in, into a very negative space when you don't have money, and people with a bit mm. more money don't understand that. <laughs> yes, and they feel like they're through a 
glass pane or yeah. something. I think this is a really good book for anyone who's just ever felt a bit pissed off with the system, just yeah. a bit disillusioned with the world, like yeah. it's clearly not for you. And like Gordon Comstock, these things aren't forever, mm. you know, they, things come and go, opportunities come and go, and you make different choices as mm. you go on, don't you? It made me so grateful, because you might have... You might remember within a week of reading this book, I went on a sort of let's sort the house out frenzy, didn't I? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I was basically just looking at every single corner and thinking what we could do sort of cheaply to make it look nice. And that was because of this book making me feel mm. like I wanted to have pride in spaces and this is your life now. Mm. Like you can't just wait for three years when you have enough money or you think you'll have enough money to have a nicer house or nicer mm. belongings and stuff. It's like, no, make the most of it now. Make your make your rooms look pretty. Make your space important and the space you inhabit is important right mm. now. And that... Um, I think that's why I got all uh, all pissy with you because I thought uh, we had made it all look really nice. <laughs> like, we've done fucking loads. I know, that's I know. <laughs> There's always some um, more. Well, it's an interesting as well as a reaction because actually my reaction to reading this book was I was like, damn, why aren't I working on any creative? Do you mean why aren't I writing something yeah. creative? Um, and I guess because I am the latter day Gordon, aren't I? I've, um, I, I, you know, I have a job which is great and yeah. fine and, and actually relatively the other way, yeah. enjoyable. But it does mean, I, 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 like, since I've worked in this, I don't do anything creative in the no. evenings because I'm spent. Yeah. Um, which is, I'm actually, is something I'm actually comfortable with. But when it's whenever I read a piece of literature I love, especially this, which spoke some relevance to mm. certain things, you just, um, yeah, you go down. Interesting as well, the, um, you know how he sort of, he knows it's a decent job, but he does despise. Uh, so what the job he has before the novel and the job that he goes back to when Rosemary is pregnant, he's a copywriter in an advertising firm. If that went up on LinkedIn today, <laughs> there will be 700 applicants in yeah, the first I know, hour I know. and kids tweeting about having their fingers crossed it for it. It is a different time, <laughs> different time. Cool. So that was our return to the Dabblers Book Club uh, after a few weeks off. We had a chat about Keep the Aspidistra Flying by George Orwell. What number out of 10 would you give it, Curtis? I genuinely, I would give this a ten. Wow! I would give all all of George Orwell's <laughs> books him, a ten. I, and I think that I love all the books as much as I love this one. It's probably They're... worth saying that Curtis has a, a tattoo dedicated to Orwell on his arm, so <laughs> that's how much he likes George Orwell. Yeah, no, it, it just might genuinely. There's some people that run him very close, but he's my favourite writer, and I love his books. I'm so glad you enjoyed this. Really did, um, yeah. I think if you enjoyed this and anyone listening that's read it, I think if you enjoyed this, I'd strongly recommend Burmese Days, A Clergyman's Daughter and Coming Up for Air. Other, there are other Orwell books that aren't particularly... They're, they're well-known, but not well-known like the big, big mm. classics. And I just think, just like this, they're great, concise little stories with really strong, mm. heartbreaking messages. Yeah, I promised you I would read Burmese Days two years ago, and I have not done it yet. Well, we have some progress. I will. Yeah. So, sorry, yeah, ten from me. What, what about you? I'd give it an eight. An eight. Cool. Yeah. Um, so, we meet in the middle? Nine out of ten. Ooh. Keep the Aspidistra flying. Thank you again for listening to our latest Dabblers Book Club. I'm going to get all this edited and on the website ASAP, and we need to put up our next few books that we're going to do because we haven't really uh, yeah. sat down and decided it yet. Let, so yeah, we need to get on this, don't we? We'll we'll read something quickly and turn it around. Probably and go back to something new. This was something old. We'll go for something new. Let's go for something new. Possibly Cersei. I, Madeline Miller. Um, okay, sounds good. Yeah. Uh, 
What else? Yes, so if you want to find out any more about us, we are dabblersbookclub.com. You can email us, Hadger or Curtis at dabblersbookclub.com. We're on Twitter at dabblersbooks. It would be lovely if you could subscribe on whatever podding platform you are listening to us on. And also, if possible, please leave us reviews. Just just hit the five-star button. Do it. I tell you what, if you write a review, we'll send you one of those bookmarks we've got. <laughs> yeah they're not amazing <laughs> they're, we, they're only we printed off some bookmarks so if you'd like a dabblers book club bookmark or oh, five yeah get in touch and we'll send it over to you thank you so much for listening um we have been hadron curtis the dabblers book club and we'll see you next time bye Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.